Well, welcome here, everyone. We're so glad you're here. It's a privilege to be in church, worshiping the Lord, and just being together with God's, God's people. And so I understand in other parts of our own country and the world, this is not allowed. And so we are thankful to God for this opportunity and, and for everyone that makes it possible. And um, even we're just so thankful for the, what's going on downstairs. You don't realize, some of you, some of you do realize because your kids are down there, but there are teachers with children from babies to grade six downstairs right now. And that's important and valuable, and we're thankful for that. In fact, pastor from Langley <laughs> texted me last night saying, hey, we'd like to know how you're doing children's ministry. And so, I mean, I'm not doing it. We've got a great team down there that are doing it, but you know, we'll talk about it because a lot of churches are afraid to do it. But thankfully, uh, we've got a great team, and we're just so glad. The kids get to learn in their own kind of age-appropriate ways down there. And they're talking about the life of Jesus down there right now. Really exciting. Thank you, all of you that serve down there, that will serve down there. It is an important ministry. And so as we come to God's Word together, just invite you to pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you that you speak to us, that your Holy Word guides us to a place of truth. And so as we come from many different backgrounds and situations this past week, we need you to just calm our hearts and speak to us directly. Holy Spirit, have access to our lives and to the secret places that we might just conform our minds and our hearts and our hands to your will as we encounter your living word this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Carpe diem. Seize the day. It's a Latin phrase. Seize the day. Live in the moment. If you were an Epicurean in the second century BC, you, you would think that would be eat, drink, and be merry. In the medieval times, it was also the same thing. Eat, drink, and be merry. You know, who, for tomorrow, who knows? So just live in the moment. Of course, the truth of that idea, carpe diem, goes back beyond the second century, right to this very book that we've been going through in the Bible, the book of Ecclesiastes, where Solomon talks about the good life. And I believe his admission to us today from God's Word in chapter 5 of Ecclesiastes is that we should seize the day, live in the moment, experience the fullness of what God has for us. For us. We could call it the good life. And let's be honest, we all want the good life. We want a life that's enjoyable, that is happy, where we find pleasure and, and fulfillment in what we do and who we are doing it with. We all want the good life. And the danger is that sometimes in our pursuit for the good life, we get distracted. And we miss the good life because we're so focused on the distractions that pull us away from the good life. Because the challenge is with the good life is, the stuff in life costs money. And so in pursuing money to try to get the good life, we often miss the good life because we're so busy, distracted by the pitfalls and the dangers that money brings into our life. And that's what he's talking about here in Ecclesiastes 5. This is not my idea. This is Solomon. Now understand, Solomon was the richest man of his time. He had the most assets, the most income coming in, the most lavish living arrangements and accumulations that you can imagine in his day. No one compared to him. First uh, Kings chapter 10 talks about 25 tons of gold coming into Jerusalem every year. 
tribute paid to Solomon. Traders coming in, people coming in to hear his wisdom. I mean, he had it all, his elaborate throne room, you know, covered with gold. They said silver was so common, it was like stones, and cedar was everywhere in Jerusalem. He lived a lavish life, and yet, this man comes to us and says, watch out for the distractions that money can bring into your life, and you can have the good life if you avoid those distractions. So today, as we look through Ecclesiastes 5 and 6, we'll see six distractions, and then we'll see his, his response, the solution. How he, God wants you to have the good life. Here's how you can have it. He'll talk about that at the end of chapter 5. But before we get there, I just want to talk, walk our way through these six distractions. Distraction number one is found in, in, in the first few verses, verses 8 to, to 9 of, of chapter 5 of Ecclesiastes. You know, everyone wants a piece of me, and this is what it says there in Ecclesiastes 5, verse 8. He's making observations of life under the sun. If you see oppression of the poor and perversion of justice and righteousness in the province, don't be astonished at the situation because one official protects another official and higher officials protect them. The profit from the land is taken by all. The king is served by the field. He's looking at life. And he's looking at the reality of life. And he's like, you know, no matter where you go, you know, there's all this political stuff going on and everyone wants their piece of you. Everyone wants a piece of you. Some of you know what that's like, right? You know, you, you, you go and you, you fill up your car and there's a gas tax and you open up your utility bill and there's a carbon tax and then you, you get to the end of the year and then you're filling out your income tax and you're like, man, is, everyone's just taking their share. Some of you work really hard and you do overtime hours and then you get your pay stub and you're like, oh, I guess, I guess they took their share of that too. You know, and you think, man, is, d- d- does it ever end? And it begins to just aggravate and irritate you. And the distraction is so much that it can actually take away the enjoyment of life because all you can think about is how everyone wants their share, everyone gets paid off, and and there's never enough left for you at the end, and and it can become a preoccupation. Even 3,000 years ago, this was the reality. I mean, God warned the Israelites, if you get a king, guess what he's going to do? He's going to tax your fields. He's going to take your kids. He's going to put your boys into, you know, in, into the army. He's going to take your girls into his harem. I mean, this is what's going to happen. Do you really want a king? Oh, yeah, we want a king. We want a king. And, and that's what they got. Solomon built up his kingdom by an aggressive taxation and work requirement scheme within the nation of Israel. He knows firsthand this reality. And so do you. You can get frustrated if you focus on that, but he says, don't let this distract you. You know, in the first century, Jesus also had this experience. The Pharisees came and were like, you know, we're going to trap Jesus here because we're going to ask him this question about taxes. Right Now, within the, the, the Jews of the day, there were Roman sympathizers and moles and, you know, people, you know, undercover that would report back to the Roman officials and, of course, you know, you know for their own benefit. And so, so there was, this was a politically charged question. Hey, Jesus, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? You know, is it right to pay taxes? And, and he's like, well, show me a coin. And he's like, okay, here it is. He's like, whose image is on the coin? Caesar's? And he's like, well, give to Caesar what is Caesar and give to God what is God's. He kind of bypasses it. He flies over it. And he's like, look, guys, just do what you got to do. Give, give the government what the government wants. Give God what he wants and you'll have no problems in life. You see, don't let it distract you. As he continues his observations of the quest for that carpe diem, the good life, he says, you know, the, the second distraction 
is that there's never enough. Verses 10 to 12 of chapter 5 talk about that. He says, The one who loves silver is never satisfied with silver. And whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with income. This, too, is futile. The, the key there, of course, is the love of wealth. It's, it's, it's okay to have wealth. God, it says in Proverbs, you know, it's, the Lord you know, blesses people with, with, with riches, and, and it's theirs to enjoy. I mean, that's, that's what he says. But he's like, when, when you love it, you just want more and more of it. Someone asked John Rockefeller, how much money was enough money? And his answer was, just a little bit more. <laughs> he had 1%, his net worth was 1% of the U.S. economy at the time of his, of his you know, wealth and, and prestige as a businessman, and yet it was never quite enough for him. See, this is a distraction, is that, that you, just, you keep thinking that you need a little bit more, just a more and, and a bit more, and, and I don't quite have enough, but, but one day I will get enough, and, but you never actually arrive at that place where you have enough. The fast track to success is actually a train wreck. There was an American tourist in Mexico, and he, he left his cell phone at home, but he was there at Mexico, uh, you know, right, right, uh, right on, on the dock and just looking at the ocean, nice little fishing village, and this guy comes putting in with his little, little aluminum boat with a upboard mortar and there there he is and he's got these fish sitting in the boat and the guy says wow you know and you did all right yeah you know how, how long were you out there are oh, just a couple hours you know he's like wow well you know what, what you know why don't you catch some more he's like wow this is all i need for my family and i could sell a few and we're good you know he's like well what do you do with all your time then he's like well i sleep late i fish a little I come home and I play with my children. I take a siesta with my wife. And in the evening, I go to the cantina, have a few drinks, play my guitar and sing. I live a very full life, he said. The wheels are turning in the American. He's like, wait, wait a second. You know, you should get up earlier and, and fish longer so you can catch more fish. He was like, well, then what would I do? Well, then you could sell the fish and buy a bigger boat or buy another boat. And then you could have two boats and catch more fish. And, and then what? Well, then, then you get three boats and then you, you, you buy a little place on the beach here where you can store the fish. And, and then you buy a truck that you can haul the fish directly to the market and, and you can make more money. And then you can buy more boats in the other villages around you. And, and pretty soon you can have a corporate office. And, and then what? Well, well th then you just sell more fish and you buy more trucks and more boats. And, 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 and pr pretty soon, you know, you're, you'll be a millionaire. And the Mexican says, well, you know, how long would that take? Well, 25 years, 20, 25 years. And then what would I do? Well, then, then you could retire. He said, well, what do you do when you retire? Well, you get a little place by the ocean, and you sleep late, you fish a little, you play with your grandkids, you have a siesta with your wife, and then in the evening you go and drink with your friends and sing some songs. He's like, senor, that is my life. <laughs> When is enough enough? Distraction number three, the opportunity of a lifetime. We see this, of course, in, in verses 13 to 17 of chapter 5. He says, this is a, there's a sickening tragedy I've seen under the sun. So again, he's making observations uh, as a rich man, as a successful person, as a wise man. This is what I've seen, this sickening tragedy. Wealth kept by its owner to his harm. That wealth was lost in a bad venture. So when he fathered a son, he was empty-handed. 
As he came from his mother's womb, so he will go again. Naked as he came, he will take nothing for his efforts that he can carry in his hands. This too is a sickening tragedy. Exactly as he comes, so he will go. What does one gain who struggles for the wind? What is more, he eats in darkness all his days with much frustration, sickness, and anger. The opportunity of a lifetime. You know that too good to be true opportunity? It's like this is a shortcut to the good life, to carpe diem, to success. If I just had that, then I could do it. And here's a man who's, who's the opportunity came and he, he throws all of his money into this, into this venture and it falls flat. And suddenly he's got these kids and he's got nothing to leave behind. And, and he lives his life, as it says in the end of verse 17 there, with frustration, sickness, anger. Maybe you've met people like this. They just get to the end of life and there's just this bitter taste that just comes out of them because it didn't go the way they thought it would go. That too good to be true was too good to be true. And they ended up with nothing. I mean, even successful people have this happen to them. According to the uh, research I did, I found this interesting statistic at last look, an estimated 60% of former NBA players go broke within five years of departing the league. And by no means are these financial programs confined to the NBA. I reported 78% of former NFL players have gone bankrupt or are under financial stress just two years after retirement. You understand, like an NBA player on the bench that waves a towel during the game gets paid $893,000 a year. That guy does much less the guys that are on the court and starting and coming off on six, seven, eight, man. I mean, these guys make a lot of money, but there they are. They're broke. I read this story of Evander Holyfield. Evander Holyfield is one of the most decorated pro boxers in the history of the sport. He has claimed many championships and had an extremely successful career. He earned millions upon millions during his career, but eventually began to have some financial difficulties that started with child support issues that later turned into a major downward spiral for the boxer. He was forced to sell his million-dollar mansion that was sold for $7.5 This barely touched the surface of what he owed because he owed the bank more than twice that much and was in debt to the IRS for more than 200000 His financial situation became public, and the world watched as he went through his financial desperate situation and was forced to sell off all his worldly possessions in an effort to try to keep his grim debt situation, to help his grim debt situation. Hollyfield is one of the top pro sports players that wound up completely broke and destitute. The opportunity of a lifetime lost. Distraction number four. I call it, it's lonely at the top in chapter six, verses one. We're going to skip that, those last three verses there. But chapter six, verse one, he describes this, this situation that he observed. Here is a tragedy I've observed under the sun. And it weighs heavily on humanity. God gives a person riches, wealth, and honor so that he lacks nothing of all he desires for himself, but God does not allow him to enjoy them. Instead, a stranger will enjoy them. This is futile and sickening tragedy. A man may father a hundred children and live many years. No matter how long he lives, if he is not satisfied by good things and does not even have a proper burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. For he comes in futility and goes in darkness, and his name is shrouded in darkness." Though a stillborn child does not see the sun and is not conscious, it has more rest than he. 
and a person who lives a thousand years twice but does not experience happiness, do not both go to the same place. I mean, he's kind of rambling here, but he's, he's talking about th- this idea of it's lonely at the top. You see, here's a person that made it, that had supposedly the, the, everything the good life would offer, but doesn't have the good life because he doesn't enjoy it. And he compares it to this stillborn child that, that has no name, no face, no recognition, is buried in, 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 in anonymity. He's like, you're, you're just as well off as, as that child that didn't experience life because you didn't enjoy it when you had it. This is a distraction. You made it to the top, but you never enjoyed your time there. There was a man that um, was a horrible, horrible man in the community. Uh, just a, a crook and a, a criminal. I mean, he took advantage of people, gained his wealth at, at the expense of others, was vile and, and, and just, just downright bad man. And, and he died. Of course, there was sort of a sense of relief in the community, but then his brother showed up at the pastor's office and was like, you know, I need to have a funeral for my brother. And he's like, okay. He's like, but there's one thing I want you to do for me. I, I need you to just say at my brother's funeral that he was a good man. The pastor's like, whew, that's kind of a hard thing to do, you know. And He's like, look, pastor, I know you guys are building on to this church here. I, I'm, I'm writing you a check right now for $100,000. If you would just say at my brother's funeral that he was a good man. And he writes the check and leaves it on his desk. And the pastor's like, ooh, this is a real hard situation because we really need that and this is some good that might come out of this man's life and death. And, but boy, you know, I don't want to get up and lie. And so you know, he, he prayed about it. He thought about it. He said, okay, I know what I'm going to do. And time came for the funeral and it was a small gathering and everyone's sitting there listening and he, and he gets to the pastor's turn. He gets up and he says, there's George in the casket closed in front. And he's like, you know, we all know George, don't we? Heads are nodding. We know what kind of man George was. Yeah, yeah, I didn't even say it. He's like, he was a vile man. Heartless. Cruel and ruthless. He took advantage of people his whole life. He was selfish, a narcissist. The community is actually better off without him. And everyone knows just his ethics, his morals were horrible. But compared to his brother, he was a good man. (laughs) Lonely at the top. Money cannot replace God. Next time you watch that shows, which shows the opulent lives of people in our world, just remember that doesn't come with enjoyment or happiness. What might seem to you that looks like a good life, for them maybe isn't. Because when you take God out of the picture, it's impossible to find enjoyment and satisfaction and meaning. Distraction number five is what I call the the greener grass. We see that in in verses seven and nine. He says, All of a person's labor is for his stomach, yet the appetite is never satisfied. And that word appetite is actually the Hebrew word for soul. The soul is never satisfied satisfied. You work, you work, you work, and yet there's something in your soul that just will never be filled by all the effort that you put into life. He says in verse 8, what advantage then does the wise person have over the fool? What advantage is there for the poor person who knows how to conduct himself before others? Better what the eyes see than wandering desire. This too is futile and a pursuit of the wind. 
And this little proverb there, he's like, you know, you're always looking for more. More, more, more. What you have is not enough. There's got to be more. There's, I need more. I, I need, I, if only I had that, then I would be happy. You know, it's, it's like taking a toddler to the supermarket, right? And, and I had to teach my kids at a young age, like, like we can go into a store and just look. We don't have to buy. Hey, Dad, hey, Dad. No, we're just looking. Let's just walk in and keep our hands in our pockets and just look and then walk out without buying anything. That, 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 that's, that's okay. That, that's, that's allowed. But, but, you know, it starts young, and, and some people never outgrow it. I want this. I want this. Can I get this? And, of course, those darn supermarkets, they put that stuff right at kid level, right? Kinder eggs, right? And chocolate bars and gummy things. And you're just like, oh, why do they have to be right at kid height? You know, and, hey, daddy, hey, daddy. No, no, we're not getting that. We're just here to get milk and eggs and whatever mommy put on the list, you know. But we want more. We want more. We want more. The greener grass. I sat in a bus when I was on my 10th anniversary trip, and there was a couple from Boston there. And I've picked on the Boston guy before, but he he was an interesting character. But we'd been in Florence, and, and he came in, and he had this, this, this like glossy little kind of brochure. And I was like, oh, what, what's he looking at? And, and there in this brochure were these watches, uh, 50,000 euros watches. I mean, I'd never seen a watch like this. I'll never own a watch like this. But there he was. He just, he almost, the saliva was almost drooling down his cheeks. He was just like, oh, look at those watches, you know. And, you know, he worked in the financial sector in Boston. Maybe that was a, a status symbol. But you could just tell. You, you're just never quite happy with what you have. There's always something nicer, better, you know, more opulent. But it never, ever satisfies. There is no greener grass. But that is a distraction that we all potentially face. And then distraction number six is what I call the golden years. This is looking ahead to some future time, and you're like, well, when I get there, then, then we're going to hit carpe diem once I, you know, do this, do that. And here's what this, the text says in verse 10. It says, whatever exists was given its name long ago, and it is known what mankind is. But he is not able to contend with one stronger than he. For when there are many words, they increase futility. What is the advantage for mankind? For who knows what is good for anyone in life in the few days of his futile life that he spends like a shadow? Who can tell anyone what will happen after him under the sun? You know, it's, it's this sort of looking for that idyllic time in your life when everything will be good. And wherever you are now, there's always something ahead that you think, well, it'll be better when I get there, and it'll be better when I get there, right? When you're in high school, you're like, it'll be better when I can get out of home and be on my own. And then when you're, you know, when you're young and single, it'll be better when I get married. It'll be better when I have children. It'll be better when I pay off my mortgage. It'll be better when I get that promotion. It'll be better when I get my degree. It'll be better when I retire. It'll be better when I... And you never actually catch the golden years because they're always just right in front of you. And the banks sell you on the golden years. I sat there even as a, as a young parent and we're setting up this registered educational savings plan. And, and they're like, well, based, you know, this is 17 years ago, based on what we project, when your daughter graduates, you're going to need to have 120 to 150,000 for her. I'm like, well, that's nice. It ain't happening, you know. Like, but you know, there they are, you know, like this, this, is, this is the goal. And you, know, you need to work for that goal. And you need to have this many millions to retire. You need this. And, and, and today is the golden year. I sat in my parents' living room, and my brother in law's grandpa was there with us. And his, he was Duba, he was German. He called him Duba. And he had a, this fake leg. He had lost his leg, and 
his life had had some difficult times as a young child and even his young adult life. But he said to me, Mike, they tell me that I'm in the golden years. But he said, Mike, you are in the golden years. I was 20 at the time. He's like, if you're going to live life, live it now. Don't wait till you're my age because this is not the golden years, he said. And, and it's never left me. I still remember what he said. But here in Ecclesiastes, this is a distraction. When you think, well, you know what? Once I get past this project, then I'll have time. Then I can focus. Then I can enjoy life. But I just got to get through this. I got to get through this season. I got to just do this, do this. And, and we never actually enjoy life because we're distracted. Which brings it to God's solution in verse 18 of chapter 5. He says, this is carpe diem living. God's solution. Chapter 5, verse 18. Solomon says, here's what I have seen to be good. It is appropriate to eat, drink, and experience good in all the labor one does under the sun during the few days of his life that God has given him because that is his reward. Furthermore, Everyone to whom God has given riches and wealth, he has also allowed him to enjoy them. It's okay to be wealthy. It's okay to have stuff, to have a boat, to, to RV, to do whatever you like to do. It, that, that's, that is a blessing from God. He has also allowed us to enjoy them, take his reward, rejoice in his labor. This is a gift of God. For he does not even consider the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with the joy of his heart. He is experiencing carpe diem at its best. God's solution is that he wants to bring satisfaction and meaning to your life today. The good life, carpe diem, is the life that you have right now. It's not some elusive destination down the road. It's you right now waking up and saying, wow, God is looking after me. It's you saying, yeah, I've got bills, I've got kids, I've got aging parents, I've got this, I've got that, but, but God is good and I'm enjoying life. I'm enjoying my work. I, I'm so thankful I, I have a job and I can do what I do. I mean, it's finding the enjoyment in the moment that God gives you every day, every day. Not bemoaning your situation, not wishing for something different or better, but just saying, today is God's day and God's gift to me. I'm enjoying it. I'm living it. I'm celebrating it. It is his gift to me. You see that? that? The whole tone changes in verses 18 to 20. He's talking about, you know, life under the sun and it's this depressing reality, all these distractions, distractions, distractions. And in verse 18, it, it totally changes. It's like, okay, now let's look above the sun. Look how God has looked after you. If you woke up and you could breathe this morning, he's blessing you. Uh, you got to go to a warm bathroom that has running water. God is blessing you. You opened a fridge or a pantry and there was food in there. God is blessing you. You didn't have to walk to church, most of you, because you have a vehicle that actually has heat in it. God is blessing you. You are living the good life today. And you'll live a good life tomorrow. And you'll live a good life in five years. And you'll live a good life in 10 years. And the circumstances of your life may change drastically in that period of time. But the goodness of God will be present with you every step that you take. This is what Jesus came to give us. In John 10, he says in verse 10, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. The verse before that says, The thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. 
But I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. It's this super abundant, this overflowing life. Carpe diem, living in the moment, the good life today. The challenge is that you and I are tempted to to believe that there is a better life somewhere else in the future for us and that it depends on money and this and that and circumstances. And and, and he's trying to take that pressure off of us and say, you are in the good life today, right now, here and now. If you know Jesus, you have the good life. You have everything that you need. And you can't buy it. There's no payment plan for the good life. Jesus paid it all when he died on the cross. The good life comes by faith in just finding God in every part of your journey. So maybe you've been sucked into some of these distractions in life. And maybe you've even get sucked into the idea that working is evil and you need to get work, work, work so you don't have to work. And that's not even a biblical concept. The, the concept here is, is you enjoy your labor. It's, it's yeah, it's great. I'm so glad I can work. And, and you know, we, we sometimes think, well, you know, why do some of those old men and old ladies never quit doing what they're doing? Because they love it. It keeps them going. There's no magic age that you need to retire at. It's when you can't work anymore. Stop working and do something else. But if you can keep working, keep working. What, what's wrong with that? That's, that's what the Bible says. It's a gift of God. That work may change as you get older, but you don't have to stop working. You just change your work. And if you do are forced to retire, that means God has other work that he wants you to do where you can take income from all that retirement and give to the Lord your time and your, and your, and your skills and, your, and yourself and help others and serve, serve him in many capacities. This is the blessing of God, the good life. So my question is, are you living the good life today? Or are you hoping that there's some, some place down the road where, you, where you're going to find it? And, and Solomon says, look, I looked and I saw and I observed and I made all these observations. I saw all this chasing of the wind. And the reality is God just wants you to stop chasing the wind and just look up and say, wow, look what he's done for me. Live in the moment, experience the moment, enjoy the moment, celebrate the moment because God is with you. And don't play that game. I'm telling you to do something countercultural to what our city promotes. I'm telling you to go against the flow. I'm telling you to show something different. It's not the bigger truck. It's not the huger RV. It's not the nicest toys. It's God in your life that brings you the fulfillment and the satisfaction that we need. It's not having more land, more houses, more this, that place up at the lake, that place down in Mexico, Phoenix, whatever. I mean, if you have that, great. I mean, God wants you to enjoy it if you have it, but that's not the destination. It's just part of the journey. And if you have that stuff, make sure you use it to bless others and and enrich others' lives and do it with your family and and, and celebrate and become stronger in your marriage. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, but just don't make that the destination. God is the destination. Celebrate what he has done for you. I mean, I don't know if you, I mean, I think back in my life. When Lisa and I were the poorest, those were rich days. You know, our, our apartment would fit into half of the stage. I could clean it in 10 minutes. It was awesome, you know. I could sit at my table and just put my, my dish right in the sink. It was right there, you know I mean? It, it was great, I mean, I, and it was rich, and it was so good, and we couldn't afford to do crazy things, but we would go for coffee, and we would just enjoy the moment. It was a good life. 
But others would look at me and say, well, you know, he just has a tiny old Corolla without air conditioning, you know. I mean, how could he live the good life? I mean, we drove to BC with the windows down. We didn't care. We were living the good life. I'm still living the good life. It's changed. I've got air conditioning. I've got heated seats now. But, but the good life is not about what I'm driving or where I'm living or what I'm eating. It's that God has been with me every step of the way. If you're building your life around anything besides Jesus, you will always be disappointed and distracted. Money will not get you the good life. Only God will. And so as we continue this journey through Ecclesiastes, just understand, it comes from Jesus, from Jesus alone. If you don't know Jesus, I encourage you to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior today. That you can just believe. He died on the cross. He rose again. So you don't have to run in this treadmill of, of, of unmet expectations and never quite achieving the good life. And you can just find satisfaction and contentment in Him and in Him alone. And you can enjoy what you have. And, and be glad with it, but it's also to be generous with it. To see, we're conduits of God's blessing. As he blesses us, we're to just keep the blessing going. That's why I'm, promo- I'm telling you, fill up shoeboxes. I'm telling you, buy Emmanuel's trial stars. Why? So that we can bless children and families all over our world that don't have the stuff that we do. Be a blessing. Because that's why God fills our lives so that we can flow out and fill others and bless. And this is, it's not supposed, we're not supposed to just be a reservoir. We're supposed to be, it's supposed to flow through us. And you'll discover, actually, the more you make, the more you can give away. The more you give away, the more you can make. And the the more exciting it is to give away. If you've never experienced that joy of generosity, maybe this text is saying, look, you're, you're all about your money, but try some generosity. You might be surprised how absolutely fulfilling it is to just be generous. Because that's the heart of God towards us. We have so much. But the, the foundation of what we have is that God sent his son, Jesus. He says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And so would you pray with me as we, as we close? And Lord, we need you. In the face of all the distractions that we see around us, the messages we hear, the pressures of finances that we feel in our own lives, Lord. We know that you want to give us so much more than that. And yet we do live in this cash society. So help us, Lord. Help us to find the balance to where we, we work, we find enjoyment in work, where we enjoy our food and, and the gifts you've given us, but we don't focus on those. We focus on you. And Lord, you've used new life in many ways to bless others. And we just pray that we would be a a place of blessing. And each family here would be a, a point of blessing in our community and in the world. And so Lord, help us to find that life today. The life to the full, the overflowing life that Jesus promises to those who believe in him. We lay down the idols that we've pursued the security measures that we put in place to try to give us some sense of security and goodness, and we lay them aside to find our security and our satisfaction in you alone today. And so focus our hearts, our minds, our hands, our wallets, our steps to please you this week. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.